This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think uh, Yaakov is going to mute us. Everyone, mute everyone. So uh, we are now going to discuss the Pirkeavot. Pirkeavot, as everyone knows, is a minhag to say Pirkeavot. Between Pesach and Shavuot, we're going to talk about the different reasons, what's going on. So number one is, what is Pirkei Avot all about? And if you look at the beginning of Pirkei Avot, it was really written for the leaders of the Jewish people. They were leading for leaders of the Jewish people and for the Beit Din, for the judges of the Jewish people to set the example for the rest of the Jewish people and also to tell us how important it is to listen to the Beit Din of that generation and where their authority comes from. So the first Mishnah, the first two Mishnah discusses the authority of the Beit Din, where it comes from. Where do we learn all our laws from? Moshe, Kibel, Torah, Messinai. Moses gets the Torah from God on Sinai. So that is the ultimate um, source of Jewish law, Jewish ethics. Everything came from Hashem. Everything came from Har Sinai. Everything came from God. And that is the authority that the Beit Din has, that is the authority the rabbis have, that's the authority the Torah has. Everything comes from God. So that is, number one, is to teach us what is the authority of the Beit Din that we have in every generation, what is the authority of the rabbis, that everything came from Sinai, and the, the chain of tradition, of Jewish tradition, has never been broken. The chain of Jewish tradition is the same chain. Moshe, Kibel, Torah, Misinai, Mesarali, Yoshua. Moses got the Torah from Sinai, and he gave it to Yoshua. And Yeshua to the Zikanium, to the elders, and the elders, and so forth, and so forth. It tells us the chain of Jewish tradition, and the chain of Jewish, Jewish tradition, thank God, has never been broken. Thank God for that. The same Torah that we got from Moses is the same Torah we study. It's amazing how the same Torah, it's amazing. There's only one difference between an Ashkenazi Torah and a Sephardi Torah, and that is the letter Aleph or He. In Patsua Daka, in, in uh, Parshat Kitetse, there's only one difference, and the difference does not make any difference to the meaning of the word. It's just the difference of how the word is written, just one letter difference. There's about 21 differences between the Sephardic Sevatora and the Yemenite Sevatora. So there's a, a, quite a few differences because of the stretch of time that we were not in contact with each other. We couldn't compare Sifre Torah. So somehow uh, mistakes crept into the Torahs, somehow. But there's very little difference between them. The same Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, which is studied all over the world, is the same Talmud anywhere in the world. The same Jerusalem Talmud, it's the same Talmud anywhere in the world. Our traditions have remained the same. Our Masorit, our, the passing down the torch from generation to generation. Amazing how through all the different persecutions, we have maintained the Torah. The Torah has maintained, <laughs> maybe the other way around. The Torah has maintained us. And we have maintained the Torah. It's the same Torah with no variations, with no differences. And that's number one. That's what the Pirkei was teaching us right at the beginning is the Sharsher, the chain of the Mesorah, the tradition. The chain of the tradition is the same chain. That's number one. So uh, that's very important to know. Hashem gave us the Torah. The Torah says the, the judgment belongs to God. It's all one judgment. It's all from one source. It's all, and there's no, uh, no way of changing it. And the second reason uh, Pirkei Avot starts off to teach, we, as we said at the beginning, to teach the judges, midot tovot, good character traits. 
And the Rambam says also many other reasons in his introduction to Prikavot. I'm not going to go through them all. So it's very interesting, the differences and reasons Prikavot. Prikavot is in the tractate of Nezikin. It's in the set of Mishnayot, which deal with the laws of damages. And the reason for that is if you learn Prikavot, you're not, you're not going to damage anyone. It's a prevention of damages. It's not uh, so a person with no midot, with no good character traits, is going to damage other people. Unfortunately, we're seeing today people are careless. There's loss of life. They're careless with other people's lives because they never internalize this message of Prikyavot. We're going to go through the different messages in Prikyavot, the main messages of Prikyavot. So Prikyavot was written by the Tanaim, the authors of the Mishnah, for a period of time called the Tanaim which started from Shimon and Tzaddik and continued in the time of the Maccabees, right all the way past the destruction of the temple into the beginning of the, the second century CE. So we are talking about a period of about 300 years, 300 years of Jewish tradition and Jewish learning and Jewish ethics is encapsulated in these, ver- in these uh, chapters of Birkei Avot. There are really five chapters of Birkei Avot the sixth chapter was added from another Masechet called Masechet Kala, just to make up the six Shabbats between Pesach and Shavuot, because those are the six Shabbatot where the tradition started to learn uh, Perkei Avot, and the reason why, and which is the Sephardic tradition, Ashkenazim have a different tradition, of learning Perkei Avot between Pesach and Rosh Hashanah, to prepare them for Rosh Hashanah. Sephardim, we learn Perkei Avot to prepare us for Matan Torah, for Shavuot, which we're going to talk about maybe next week, talk about the significance of Shavuot, different messages of Shavuot next week. Same time, same channel. But we, Sephardim, we learn it for Shavuot. Ashkenazim keep on learning it. They learn a few times till they get to Rosh Hashanah. They keep repeating it till they get to Rosh Hashanah, to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. So it's, again, it's over the time of the summer. Uh, the rabbi said the summertime, the Yetzirah gets bigger. We need to learn more ethics. So right now is the time to learn ethics. Because Friday before Shavuot, Ashkenaz before Rosh Hashanah is a preparation, ethics. Uh, something which is really lacking in today's society, ethics. It's interesting, the need for ethics was not really appreciated until the end of the Second World War. And the Nuremberg trials, where they tried to try the Nazis, but there were no laws governing ethics. There were no laws governing medical ethics. They couldn't try the Nazis because there were no, there was no ethical system of laws governing medical ethics. Can you imagine the doctors could do whatever they wanted in experiments. They could, they could, everything was experimental. They could do whatever they wanted. There was no ethics guard. So eventually there's a field of ethics called medical ethics. And then uh, the, the, the nuclear explosion, uh, Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they, they, they spawned a new field of ethics, scientific ethics, ethics and science. We need ethics everywhere. Every part of life needs ethics. Unfortunately, there's a beautiful parable of the Magid of Dumna, beautiful parable of Dumna Magid. And every, every field now today, there's economic ethics, there's medical ethics, there's science, there's ethics of science. But who writes these ethics? So the beautiful Dumna Magid. And this really is illustrated by the definition of brain death. What is brain death? So again, medical ethics over time has changed the definition of brain death because they wanted to perform heart transplants. And in those days, when first heart transplants started, uh, Ramosha Feinstein says it's a double murder. Why? Because number one is you've got to take the beating heart out of someone. Okay, he's terminally ill, but still his heart is beating. 
that's murder number one, and then put it into someone else who would not survive that transplant. So Ramosha Fajr says double, double murder. Obviously, the techniques today are more advanced, but a whole new terminology was invented to, to assist this concept of heart transplants. And the new terminology was brain death. Again, so ethics is changing. And who writes the books of ethics? That's the question. So our ethic is built, and the foundation of our ethics is Hashem. That's the foundation of our ethics. Who builds the, the college ethics is the professors. The college professors write the ethics. There's a beautiful story in the Dubna Magid, as I said. The Dubna Magid writes uh, a parable. He said the, the guy is walking around town and he sees these uh, archer boards, you know, the archer boards, the target practices of the archers. And he sees a bunch of arrows in every bullseye. Every bullseye is like 10 arrows. He says, wow, there must be a tremendously good archer around here. So he goes around asking people, who is this archer, this tremendous archer who could get all bullseyes? So they tell him, go to this farmhouse on the edge of town and you'll see the archer. So he goes to the farmhouse, he knocks on the door, a very elderly person opens the door, he notices the guy's hands are shaking. And he says, tell me, he says, I'm looking for the archer, this tremendously good archer who scores bullseyes all the time. And the farmer says, it's me. And the person says, what are you talking about? Your hands are shaking. He says, you don't understand, he says. First, I shoot the arrow, and then I draw the target. So I draw the target, um, and I draw the bullseye around the arrows. So it's interesting. And that's how ethics today is operating. The, the ethicists want to know where they're going, and then they just started, uh, they can rationalize. They can rationalize everything to say, it's okay, it's fine. The ethics point in that direction. But first, they want to know the target is, and then they draw the target around where they're trying to go to. So it's a very interesting idea. And this idea is based on the sin of Adam. Adam Harishon, it says, he sinned, and who made him sin? The snake. Who is this snake? This proverbial snake, snake the Nachash. The rabbis call him Nachash HaKadmoni, the early snake, the primeval snake. Who is this snake? It's a beautiful Rambam in Moreno Vuchim, the guide to the perplexed. He says the word Nachash in Hebrew comes the word nichush. Nichush is to guess. To guess, he says, or to rationalize. He says the snake is inside our brain. What is it? The power of rationalization. We have the ability, human beings have the ability to rationalize whatever we want. We can rationalize, we can turn the whole world upside down with our rationalization. So rationalization is our biggest asset and rationalization is our biggest enemy. It's a snake. It's a snake, pretends to be a friend, but it's a snake. So we can rationalize anything. Anything a person wants to do, he wants to rob a bank, we can rationalize. Everyone rationalizes. So we all rationalize. We've got to learn how not to rationalize. We have to learn how to anchor our rationalization in the code of ethics given by God. And that's Pirkei Avot. That is the code of ethics given to us by God. So when, it, when its title is Pirkei Avot, what does that mean? These are the chapters literally translated as the chapters of our fathers. Who are the fathers we're talking about? Which fathers are we talking about? So our fathers are our rabbis. Our fathers are our early leaders, the prophets, and the wise men, and Moses, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yoshua, and all the others. We call them our fathers. These are the ethics of our fathers passed down to us. Okay, that's a very simple explanation. The other explanation of Avot is principles. We find in the, the laws of Shabbat, there are 39 forms of work, which are the major principle, 
principles of laws of Shabbat. So, and they're called avot melachot. They're called the principles of labor. And so too, over here, avot does not mean fog. Avot means major principles. These are major, the prike avot is major principles of ethics on which the whole Torah is derived. The ethics of the Torah is derived from. These are the major principles of ethics. So avot is fathers, patriarchal, rabbis, sages, or avot is the major principles, the fundamental principles of ethics. And the recognition of ethical uh, maxims as fundamental principles may derive from the high regard the Torah, the Mishnah, and the Talmud hold such wisdom. Imagine, the wisdom is is called the major principles. Uh, Avot, these are the Avot of the Torah. These are the principles of the Torah. The main principles of the Torah are, are principles based on ethics and morality. So that is a very important idea that our Judaism is based on these principles. Perikei Avot are the principles, the, the ethical underpinnings of Judaism. Perikei Avot are the ethical, I'll say it a few times. Perikei Avot are the ethical underpinnings of Judaism on which Judaism rests. These are the bedrock of Judaism. A person does not keep Perikei Avot, the ethics of Perikei Avot. Their Judaism is shaky. We find today Judaism is shaky. You find you can dress up with a long beard and a long coat and the Judaism is shaky because the ethics, the underpinnings, the moral in the underpinnings are unfortunately missing. And these are the moral underpinnings, the Perikei Avot based on sayings in the Torah, like they have that Recha Kamocha and others, these are the ethical underpinnings of the Torah. So, or Hillel says, don't do to others what you don't want others to do to you. What you find hateful for yourself, don't do to others. So all these things are underpinnings of the Torah. Where do we find these underpinnings of the Torah? In the Tanakh, in the, in the Jewish Bible, in the 24 books of the Bible. And the answer is we find them in the works of King Solomon. We find them in the works of uh, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, we find the works of Mishlei, Proverbs, which are books of wisdom, and also right through the Torah, you find these stories which are educating us. Whenever the Torah tells us a story, it's not telling us a story for the sake of the story. It's telling us a story for the sake of giving us Musar, ethics. They're teaching us the, the major underpinnings, the ethical underpinnings of Judaism. Very, very important. So Mishnei Tractate of Avod consists of five chapters. It begins with the order of transmission of the oral tradition. Moshe received the Torah at Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he transmits it through various generations, including Joshua, the elders, the prophets, and uh, until it finally arrives in the leaders of the great assembly, the Ansheh Knesset Hagdolah Lehavdil, that our Knesset today in Israel is based on this number of 120. There were 120 great rabbis, among whom were certain prophets, who made up this Levitical court called the, called the Great Assembly. These are Great Assembly. And that's how the first mission starts with this, um, this uh, chain of tradition, going right down to Simon the Just, who said Shimon Sadiq, who happened to be the high priest as well as a great rabbi in 200 BCE, continues to Yehud HaNasi is around 200 CE. So a period of 400 years, Pirkei Avot was written, a period of 400 years, during times, you can't even imagine. We talked about a few weeks ago the Roman persecution, which is probably a, a bigger Holocaust than the Holocaust. The Roman persecution. This mission was written over the period of Roman persecution, the period of the Maccabees against the Greeks, tri- times of trouble through which uh, 
the rabbis were focused on ethics. We're focused on ethics. That's a, especially in times of trouble, you have to be focused more on ethics. Because when a person's under pressure, that's when you see a real person. That's when things come out. Right? The, uh, the Talmud says a person can be recognized in three things. Bekiso, Bekoso, Bekaso. Bekiso is in his pocketbook. How generous, where the checks are written to. Who do you write your checks to? Today, forget about checks. <laughs> it's all uh, electronic uh, today. Uh, so where does the money go? That's perfectly recognized. Where does this money go? Does this money go to support good causes? Does money go to support Jewish causes? Does money go to Jewish education? Does money go to uh, looking after the blind and the poor and the weak and the, this? Where does the money go? That's the kissel person's pocketbook you can tell a person by their pocketbook where the money goes where do they spend their money and also how they spend their money are they miserly generous you can tell the person's uh, character traits from the kiso koso is just get a person angry uh it's castle sorry koso is in his cup and what a person drinks to what do you drink to you drink to when the when the Soccer team wins when the Knicks win. I don't know when these guys, all these, uh, all these sports teams. What does a person drink to? They drink because uh, they're happy. So what makes them happy, basically? Or how does a person behave when they're drunk? That is the koso and the cup. You can tell a person by how they behave when they're drunk, because nifnas yayin. The rabbis say nifnas yayin yatsasod. When the wine goes in, the secrets come out. That's when you see the true behavior of a person is when they're drunk and you see them have so usually on Purim you can see a person how they behave with Purim um, because uh, usually unfortunately again another bad uh, issue we have to deal with in Jewish society is drinking on Purim I wish it was only Purim uh, the Kiddush clubs where people over imbibe the whiskey and Kiddush clubs unfortunately not so much to, uh, today in Corona times but again when Corona is going to be the past Corona we're going to see the Kiddush clubs revival and and uh, because so you'll see a person behave when they're a bit drunk how they behave when they cup when they cup, and lastly the castle and when a person's angry, then you see the real person coming out. All the restrictions, all the inhibitions come out. A person's really mad, furious. See the words they use, what they say. That's the real person coming out. That's the animal side of a person coming out. So Pirkei Avot is teaching us ethics to be able to control ourselves, to learn how to control ourselves, to learn how to behave with each other, and to learn how to behave. There's really three parts. It's really the three parts of the two triangles of the Magen David. There's a beautiful concept. The two triangles of the Magen David. People don't realize the Magen David is two triangles. Uh, so one triangle is the individual triangle and the other triangle is the, the community triangle. What is the triangle? And Prikabot says the world rests on three things. The Jewish world rests on three things. What are the three things? Torah, Avodah, and Gimurut Hasadim. Torah, Avodah, and Gimut Hasadim. The Jewish world rests on these three things. These three things are the corners of our triangles on the Magen David. Torah, Avodah, Gimut Hasadim. What does that mean? What do these things relate to? So number one, people don't realize. Torah, what is the purpose of the Torah? Torah's purpose is to enable us to measure ourselves. How do you measure yourself? Take a self-exam. How do you take a self-exam? Of who I am. How do I measure up to God's standards, not my standards, not people's standards? How do I measure up to God's standards? There's 613 mitzvot in the Torah. These are the measurements by which we measure ourselves to know who we are and how we are doing spiritually. 
So here we have a vehicle. The Torah is the vehicle, a spiritual vehicle for us to measure our own spiritual prowess, if you want, or spiritual abilities or spirituality. How do you measure your own spirituality? The Torah gives us a vehicle to measure our own spirituality. It gives us a vehicle to look into ourselves, which is so hard to do. You spend money going to psychologists. But really, the, the Torah is better than any psychology because the Torah is psychology. It's teaching us to examine ourselves. Self-examination through the lens of the Torah. How do I rate myself in terms of the Torah, in terms of God's law? How do I rate myself on this? How do I rate myself on this mitzvah, this mitzvah, this mitzvah? How do I rate myself? How am I doing? So the Torah gives us a vehicle for introspection. So that is looking inside. That's one corner of the triangle. One corner of the triangle is looking into ourselves. Going into ourselves and doing introspection and measuring ourselves. The second corner is, so that's Torah. Avodah. Avodah is serving God. Avodah is serving God. How do I relate to God? Right? How am I in terms of my relationship to God? And lastly, Gimelut Hasidim is how am I in relations to other people? So really, if you look at the triangle of Magid David, there is inner, that's the Torah. How am I doing inwardly, inner? Only I know myself, what's inside. Am I a can full of worms or am I a can full of roses? That's the only person knows if they measure themselves according to what the Torah is trying to teach us. Inner, outer is and upwards. Inner, outer, how do we relate to my, uh, myself in the Torah? How do I relate to God, upper and outward? How do I relate to other people? Inner, upper and outer. That's a very important concept. So again, that's a concept of Perkei Avot. Perkei tells us the world rests on three things and then there's the, there's the triangle of the individual and there's also a triangle of the community. How do we relate to others as a community? How do we learn to rise as a community? How do we relate to God as a community? So this is the triangles of the Magin David. We have, we have to spread this idea of the Magin David, how important it is based on this concept of these three things which are the underpinnings of Jewish life. Torah, Abadai, Gurut, Hasidim and obviously the Perkei Avot is one of the keys to the underpinnings of Jewish life the ethics and morality of Prakavot, so important that we learn it and we, we try and imbibe it and we try and internalize them, these uh, sayings. So we said that Prakavot consists of five tra- chapters. It starts off with the transmission of the oral tradition and it finally arrives at a great assembly and uh, 200 BCE and it goes all the way to the author, the editor of the Mishnah, Rabbi Huda Nasi, 200 CE. The first two chapters proceed in general chronological order, with the second chapter focusing on the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. We said that Hillel, the great Hillel, had 80 students. And the smallest of his students was the great Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Amazing, amazing. He was the smallest of the students. Who would believe the smallest of the students is the chief rabbi of Israel? He knew more than most people, except the other 79. He knew more than, than everyone else. He's part of the other 79 rabbis uh, who were products of Hillel. And uh, so a lot of the second chapter is based on the wisdom of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and his five great students. The five great students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Yezeb ben Hurkadis, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, Rabbi Laza ben Arach, Rabbi Yossi, and there was one more. Let's look at it. Uh, one more student, which I can't remember the name. But these are the students of, uh, if you look through Pekavot, the second chapter, you'll see the five students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai finally 
quizzes his students. And the Pirkei Avot is based on the quizzes of his students. And uh, he asked them, what is the ideal trait for a person to work on? What is the ideal trait for a person to work on in his life? So each one gives a different affinity. So he, first he talks about what his motto is. It says, five students were students of Rabbi Yochanan Zakai. Who are these? Rabbi Yezeb ben Hurkunus who was himself a rabbi who taught Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, also a great rabbi who taught Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yossi Akohen, who called the Hasid, a pious one, he was a priest, Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel, I never remember his name, Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel, and Rabbi Laza ben Arach, who hayam moneh et shivchan, he would praise them, he would list their praises. Firstly, he said, Rabbi Yezeb ben Hurkunus, bor sud, he is a cemented um, pit, in those days, they would store their wine in pits in the ground and they would cement them with lime. So nothing would escape the, the wine, the vinegar, other things, the other liquids which they wanted to preserve. They would preserve them in the cold ground. You know, the ground is in those days, no refrigeration. So where do you preserve your liquids? In the cold ground, in the, in the board, in the pit, in the ground. But it's got to be uh, cemented. It's got to be laced with this, uh, this lime, which doesn't allow any liquid to escape. So he says, Rabbi Leazar ben Hurkunus is cemented. He has, nothing escapes him. His memory is terrific. He remembers every single thing he learns. That's Borsud. Not a single drop of learning can escape him. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, praised is the woman who gave birth to him. So the rabbis ask, what's so special about his mother? Why praise the mother? Imagine, you see this great man with tremendously good midot, with tremendously good character traits. Who do you praise? So normally you praise the parents. Why praise the mother? So apparently his mother would bring him into the yeshiva when he was a small boy. He would imbibe the words of the Torah. So sometimes even a babies, you know, bring them into the bed midrash, um, unless they make noise, of course, and uh, let them imbibe, you know, even without even... Knowing what's going on, just the words of the sages penetrating the subconscious. So that's the idea of here. Ashrei Yerato praises his mother to bring him when he was a small child to the Beit Midrash. Rabbi Yossi, as we said, Rabbi Yossi Yakohen was a Hasid, he was pious. That's how he praised him. Rabbi Shimon ben Natanel, Yerechet, we should all be like this. Fear of sin. What is fear of sin? How does a person become fear of sin? What is fear of sin? So the answer is we have to know. And this is a very important idea. When you go down the highway, especially in the winding roads, you know, Israel has lots of winding roads, especially if you go to the north in Galil. A lot of winding roads, a lot of winding roads in Yerushalayim. And the most important thing is the fences around these roads. The government builds fences around the roads so that cars cannot crash and go over. Go over the cliff. You can imagine going over the cliff, worst nightmare. So uh, they build these fences. And these fences are known as Gezerot. We have to know, when the rabbis make these fences around the Torah, you know, people, a lot of people complain, this is a rabbinical law, this is not Torah, this is a rabbinical law. What are the, what the rabbis doing? The answer is the rabbis are making fences around the Torah. Why are they making fences around the Torah? Is the Torah difficult enough as it is? And the answer is the rabbis viewed breaking Torah law as basically jumping off a cliff. And we don't appreciate that because we don't see the damage caused to our souls. Unfortunately, now, a person has an accident, we see the guy broke his leg, broke his toe, broke his the other things. We should never know. But you see the damage caused, say, a person 
falls off a cliff, you see the damage. When a person falls off a spiritual cliff, we can't see the damage done to our souls. Unfortunately, we can cause tremendous damage to our souls by falling off the spiritual cliffs of negative mitzvot. A person has a mitzvah, you're not allowed to do this, not allowed to do this, and we do it. We, what are we doing? We're actually causing spiritual suicide. We're killing the souls inside us. We're falling off the spiritual cliff that we can't even see. So what the rabbis did is, you know what? We're going to make a fence for you. You can't see the spiritual cliff. You're not sensitive enough to see these spiritual cliffs. We're going to make fences around these spiritual cliffs, which will help you avoid falling off these spiritual cliffs. We have to understand that a chet is not something which does not have consequences. Sins have consequences. Unfortunately, they're not consequences that you can see all the time. But if a person is sensitive enough, they'll feel that inside they're missing something. Inside there's something, it's emptiness. There's emptiness inside, and this emptiness is caused by lack of connection to God. The emptiness today in society is caused, people don't realize it. They're running after all sorts of different things. Society is running after all sorts of different things. They're not running after the real cure of the problem. The real cure of the problem is the soul is being killed by what we do. We kill our own souls with our own hands because we can't see it. We have to desensitize ourselves. That's what the rabbis try to do by making these fences around the Torah to sensitize us so we won't break laws in the Torah, which is like jumping off a cliff, a spiritual cliff. So he calls his student, Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel, fear of sin. He doesn't say fear of God. He says fear of sin. What does that mean, fear of sin? Fear of sin is fear of falling down. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. The same game played in the UK is the same game played in the America, the same game played all over the world. It's just different names. So in America, it's called shoots and ladders. And in England, it's called snakes and ladders. I, I prefer the name snakes and ladders better. Why? Well, not because I was raised in England, but because it really is much more symbolism. The snake is the proverbial snake. The snake is the Yetzirah. And the ladder is the ladder up to heaven that we're all trying to climb and unfortunately, as we get bitten by the snake, the Yitzhah, and we fall again. It's interesting. It's an amazing game because it really is a symbol of what we're doing in our lives. We're trying to climb the ladder of spirituality. We're trying to climb this ladder up to God. We're trying to climb up Mount Sinai, which is topical because that's Shavuot. We're trying to climb. Moshe Rabbeinu climbed up Har Sinai. He was the only man in the world who could do it, the only human being who ever achieved that. But we're all trying to climb. We can get to a certain place where no one else can get to. We all have our own place on Mount Sinai. We all have our own space that we can achieve, our own site that no one else can get to. We're trying to climb this ladder up of spirituality, and suddenly this snake, which is our own yetara, our own yetara, our own evil inclination, bites us, and then boom, we go down the chute. We go down that snake, and again, we've got to start climbing up the ladder. And the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha is a tzaddik keeps trying to climb. And Russia just says, I can't do it anymore. I give up. This system is impossible. I can't climb this ladder because every time I climb, I fall. And Sadiq, he says, you know what? Every time I climb, I'm getting reward for climbing. And even though I know I'm going to fall, Hashem, please pray. Hashem, please save us. Maybe never fall. Maybe always climb. But it's impossible because we're human beings. Ain't Sadiq Baris Shelo there's those things a human being, it could be a tzaddik in the land, and, and can't sin. We all, unfortunately, have our faults and failings and yetzara. 
And the rabbis say even more than that. They say, Kola gadol mechavero yitzroha gadol mimenu. A person who's greater than his friend, his yetzerah is even greater than him, than, than his friend. So a greater person has a bigger yetzerah. It doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger. Rabbi uh, Deslan says the analogy is the yetzerah is like a spring. You push it, you push it, push it away, push it away, and the spring's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but the energy in the spring is getting higher and higher and higher, and one day that spring goes bang and pushes the person. So he said that's one way of controlling the yetzerah. Unfortunately, it's pushing that spring. He said it's not a good way. The only way to control the yetzerah is to destroy it completely. But to destroy one's yetzerah is dangerous. It's dangerous in the extreme, and the only one who destroyed it was Rabbi Akiva, uh, sorry, David Amelech, in his old age. He says, My heart is empty inside, which means he destroyed the rabbi. Say, he destroyed his Yetzirah. So the danger of destroying the Yetzirah is we need a Yetzirah. Unfortunately, we need a Yetzirah because we need to eat, we need to sleep, we need to earn money, we need to go to work, we need to do things. And the Yetzirah is the biggest motivator of humanity. Yetzirah is the biggest motivator of humanity that's why the capitalist system is more successful than the communist system because we need incentives human beings need incentives we can't live an altruistic life a purely altruistic life we need incentives and we need to earn money we need to make money we need it's a yetzerah but the yetzerah makes the world go round that's what we have to understand so what we need to do is not destroy the yetzerah we need to control the yetzerah that's what hashem is giving us the torah to try and control our yetzerah everything is allowed but there's a time and a place and a way and it's not whenever i want whatever i want whenever i want it's there's a time and a place where it's allowed the rabbi say everything which is not kosher which there's always a kosher substitute it's amazing that was in those days today for sure you can find uh, anything you want kosher okay it's a, it's a substitute but it's it's uh, it's got the same name it's just it's a kosher substitute okay tofu is amazing you can make anything out of tofu but there's other substitutes today which are amazing even beef they're making out of something now they're making out of plants so it's a substitute for everything hashem does not forbid anything to us where there's no substitute but what he's trying to do is control teach us self-control you know it's interesting i talked about this many years ago there's a famous experiment um, it's called the marshmallow experiment. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's the marshmallow experiment. It's an amazing experiment. I can't remember the psychologist's name, but it was, it's repeated all over the world. Many different universities did this experiment, psychological experiment on children. What they did is they put a marshmallow, a couple of marshmallows on the table, and they tell the child, listen, I'm going to go leave the room. I'm going to leave you here. If you can control yourself for 10 minutes, you can eat the marshmallow. And what they did is they observed with a camera or, or a one-way glass, and they see some children would just eat the marshmallow straight away. Some children would you see see the fight in, within themselves. Shall I eat it now? Or shall I eat it later? The, the guy said not to eat it now, but I can't resist it. They're fighting themselves. And finally, you see a guy, the child who could sit still for 10 minutes, not resist the temptation. And then at the end of 10 minutes, eat the marshmallow. And obviously be rewarded tremendously after that. But what they did is they followed, this, was, this experiment was done in the 50s. So what they did is they followed these people through their lives, these kids. And they found that the kids who had the most self-control at a young age were the most successful in their lives later on. We have to know the secret of success is self-control, self-control. 
self-control. People talk about self-esteem, but self-control is probably more important than self-esteem because self-control gives a person self-esteem. People don't realize when they can control themselves, they respect themselves. A person can't control himself, can't respect himself. So anyway, so that's the idea of Yerechet. Yerechet is to fear the actual sin itself. Why? Because we have to realize sin is like a poison. Sin can destroy us. So this marshmallow test was done by psychologist Walter Michel. Amazing, amazing, amazing idea, brilliant idea. And what he, to follow these kids the rest of their life and to see how self-control is so important to make a person successful in life. It's a key ingredient in success. And we have to learn self-control. And the Torah is teaching us self-control. I was just uh, looking at as, as a, a Jewish child growing up and a non-Jewish child growing, back, growing up. And a Jewish child, you know, he's hungry. He goes to the mummy, he wakes up in the morning, comes straight out of bed. Ma, I'm hungry, I'm starving. Please give me some food. And Ma says, go wash your hands. So what? Yeah, wash your hands. Go alternately three times each head. So he goes, wash his hands. Says the bracha until I die. Comes back and says, Ma, I'm hungry. Said, you say, Brikot HaShachar? Brikot HaShachar? What's Brikot HaShachar? Oh, I've got to say the prayers, all the blessings in the morning. Okay, the morning blessings. Okay, he says, morning blessings. Comes back, Ma, I'm hungry. He says, Ma says, do you take a shower yet? Go take a shower and come back. You'll be clean. So he goes, takes a shower. He comes back. He says, Ma, I'm hungry. He said, Shema? He said, no. Yes, say Shema. He said, Shema, you pray Amida? No, I didn't pray Amida. So pray Amida. So by the time he gets his, his breakfast, it takes tremendous self-control. That's the whole idea. The idea is to teach children self-control early age. You go to the store. There's a true story. It's an amazing story. <laughs> There's a black woman they found in, in Canada. And she went to the supermarket. There's a Jewish woman who happened to be behind her. And the, the, the child of the black woman is saying, Mommy, I want these chocolates. My mother says, Sorry, it's not kosher. Uh, Mommy, I want these sausages. Oh, sorry, it's not kosher. So the Jewish woman's saying, this woman does not look Jewish at all. So she goes up there, she says, tell me, she says, are you Jewish? She said, no. So, but I heard you tell your child, this is not kosher, this is not kosher. <laughs> so the woman says, you know, I observed many of these religious women and their child says, I want this chocolate, I want this candy, I want this. And the, and the mother says, sorry, it's not kosher. And the child shuts up. So I do the same technique on my child. <laughs> So it's again, it's a technique to teach self-control. Not everything is allowed. Not everything is allowed all the time. Not everything is allowed in all situations. There's something which we have to teach society. It can learn a lot. But we ourselves have to internalize this message. The Torah is trying to teach us ethics. That's a grounding. That's what the grounding of Judaism is ethics. Uh, the Torah is trying to teach us is the danger of sin can destroy a person's soul. In fact, the worst punishment, one of the worst punishments in the Torah is karet. What is karet? It's not something you can see. It's not something which is visible. It's an indivisible sign of the cutting off of the soul. The soul is cut off from its source. And no one's going to know about it except the person themselves when they feel empty inside. Because, you know, I feel empty inside. I feel bereft. I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel some kind of depression. I feel depressed inside. That is the emptiness of the soul, which is cut it the soul is just cut off from its source we all need to get replenishment our souls need to get replenishment which we get when we sleep i'll turn the that gives the the uh the worn out people energy and that is not just physical energy but also spiritual energy anyway let's move on the five students of rabbi yohan ben zakai and he says rabbi elaza ben arach Mayan Hamid Gaber. This is a stream which overflows. It's a self-providing stream. It just keeps on bubbling over. What does that mean? That means that 
if we lose a law, we can forget halakha. Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, with his logic, can bring it back. He's overflowing. He's not just full, like Eliezer ben Hurkanis, who was a genius and remembered everything. Rabbi Lazar ben Arach could actually replenish, not just keep what he had, but learn new things out of what he had. Anyway, so he asked his students. He says, tell me, he says, what is the most important trait that a person should try and get? What is the most important trait? So each one comes up with a different answer. Rabbi says, a good eye. So the question is, what is a good eye? And the answer is very simple. It's the opposite of ein ra. Ra ein. <laughs> there's ein hara and there's ra ein. What is ra ein? So a simple explanation is ra ein is a person who is very miserly. Not only are they miserly, but they always look, look at other people and see what they have and become jealous of it. Ah, look around. Oh, this guy is this. Who is, the, who is the person in Torah who had the most evil eye? And the answer is Bil'am Harasha. He's called Bil'am Harasha for not, not just any reason. He had the title Bil'am Harasha. We always, when we say Bil'am, we always say Bil'am Harasha. Why is it called Bil'am Harasha? Bil'am Harasha looked down from the mountaintops, from different venues, which he keeps telling Balak, take me here, take me there, take me there. He's looking down from the heights on the people of Israel who camp below. And what's he doing? He's trying to find flaws. He's trying to find little cracks in the people. He's trying to find bad things that they're up to that he can curse them. That's a person with a bad eye, with an evil eye. person comes to your house. No, I'm just saying you. person goes to someone's house. And he says, where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? How much do you pay? How much do you spend? So some people are very innocuous. And they don't really mean anything bad. But the other guy says, wow, you bought that. Wow, you're so lucky. Wow, you're this. Wow, that. And I'm jealous of this. I'm jealous of that. That kind of person you don't want in your house. That kind of person is called ra'ayin. Ra'ayin. But the worst kind of ra'ayin is when a person is ra'ayin on themselves. They're very generous to other people, but themselves, they can't spend a penny. You know, I, I knew a person like that. Very, very wealthy. But he didn't drive a nice car. He didn't live in a nice house. I said, why don't you look after yourself? He says, Rabbi, he says, you nailed my problem. I'm a bachelor because I can't get married. And the reason why I can't get married is I can't spend money on myself. I lost the key to the money to myself. I can't look after myself. Ra'ayin on oneself. A person says, you know, I want everyone else to do mitzvah, but I'm not going to do mitzvah. Ra'ayin. He's a miser on his own self. He doesn't care about his own soul. He's not helping himself spiritually. So ra'ayin can, there's different kinds of ra'ayin. Ra'ayin can be to other people. And Ryan can be on oneself because sometimes it's right. I know oneself. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to spend money myself. I'm not going to buy nice clothes. I'm not going to buy a nice car. I'm not going to buy a nice house. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to do anything. That's Ryan. Because I'm not going to do any mitzvot. That's Ryan spiritual. Because it can be on other people. Ryan. We don't want people around who are Ryan. Because it's going to keep around people who are Tovayin. Tovayin who? A person with a good eye. He's blessed. Why? A person. It's, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to get over jealousy. You know, um, I tell my students, you know, you go to Deal. If any of those been to Deal, New Jersey or Hampstead Garden suburb in, uh, in London or I don't know what, the West End somewhere, I don't know. Um, and you see these beautiful houses, beautiful, well-kept lawns. You see these massive tennis courts and swimming pools. And you say, what? Some people with a bad eye will say, oh, I'm so jealous of that guy. I wish I could be like him. I wish I had his money. I, he doesn't deserve it. That's, that's right. A good eye will say, Hashem, bless them. 
bless them all. Bless me with them. <laughs> well, that's a good eye. A good eye is a guy who's not jealous. That's very hard to achieve. And that's what Rabbi Yaz is saying. Rabbi Yaz is the best thing to inculcate for human uh, relations. But the truth is, it's not just human relations. It's also between man and God. Because a person with a bad eye is going to steal. He's going to get jealous. He may kill. In fact, the 10th commandment, which is one of the hardest commandments, is don't be jealous. Right? Don't be jealous. And the rabbis say, in the, in the second of the Ten Commandments, in Parsha Vayetchanan, it says, Lord David, don't even desire what they have. That's the hardest mitzvah, I think. But it's one of the hardest mitzvah, for sure. Don't be jealous of other people, what they have. Don't desire what other people have. You can desire something like it, but not what they have. And that's a very important idea, this idea of ra'ayin. And being a good eye would cure many ills in society. Would cure many ills in society. All the uh, robberies and the violent murders and that stuff would be cured by having a good eye. So good eye. That's number one. Rabbi Yelia says, number two, Rabbi Yeshua says, Haverto, a good friend. We all need friends. We all need to have good friends. We all need someone we can talk to. We all need, you know, the, the joke in uh, Manhattan was the guy held, sticks up someone with a gun. And the guy says, what do you want? You want my wallet? You want my bag? You want my, my computer? He says, no, sir. I just wanted someone to talk to. <laughs> it's a terrible uh, idea. We have no friends. People today are friendless. A lot of people are friendless. To acquire a friend. Now, it's a very strange language. To acquire a friend. You don't really pay to acquire a friend. The answer is yes. Invest in a friend. Invest. Friendship requires investment. This is something people don't realize. Your best friend is your, is your wife, your spouse. A man's best friend is his wife. A woman's best friend should be a husband. These are best friends. Or our children. These are best friends. Why? They are own flesh and blood. Person got to realize a person's spouse, they're flesh and blood. They're flesh, even better than flesh and blood. They're the best friends. But you know what? You got to invest in friendship. A person has to invest. It's not just getting married. It's the investment afterwards all through the way, you know. Someone I'm dealing with now is just getting married and he says, you know, Rabbi, how much I spent on the ring? So marriage is an investment. You know how much I spent on, on the wedding? Uh, my parents in law are not spending. My parents can't afford it. So it's an investment. Marriage is an investment, but it's not just investment. Short-term investment. It's a long-term investment. Buy a friend. You have to acquire friendship. You know, we have to be friendly to our own children. We have to be friendly to our own grandchildren. Acquire. You have to keep investing. You have to keep giving, basically. You have to keep giving. Acquire a friendship. It's amazing. Haver Tov. Have a good friend. Be a good friend. Be a good friend to someone. You know, today I'm blessed. Why my my you know, Israel, there's no such thing as living in a self-detached house. That's a dream. All right. Living in a self-detached house. I'm living here, uh, then there's a building with I don't know it's nine floors, I'm not sure. I don't know my neighbors, but I do know my neighbors on my floor. I've got three good neighbors on my floor. I'm very happy. These are people that are sadiqim. I'm so blessed to have these people on my floor. I tell my wife all the time, we're blessed to have these beautiful neighbors. And I hope they're my neighbors in the next world as well. They're such good people, such fantastic people. So, Haberto, make one of them a friend. Or make them all your friends. Invest. You have to invest in friendship. But more than a good friend, Yossi says, is a shahento. Good neighbor. Why is a good neighbor better than a good friend? And the answer is friends come and friends go. But neighbors you're stuck with. <laughs> so neighbors you're stuck with. 
So a good neighbor is the best thing you can have. A good neighbor is someone in need, right? someone right next door, 24-7, who uh, doesn't cause any trouble, only does good. That's a good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon says, If you can see the future, if you can see something which is going to come about, you can see further than the normal person. Unfortunately, most people can't see beyond their nose. A person that look beyond. You know what? We have two lives. It's amazing. We have to think about this. You know, Judaism, when, uh, you know, when I used to sneeze when I was a kid, my parents would say, Chayim Tobim. Life's good in the plural. Chayim Tobim. Uh, right? Chayim. Although I heard this, we pray for Chayim. Zochreinu l'chayim, melech hafetz b'chayim. Chayim. Chayim is in the plural. It's not in the singular. Chay. Okay, chay is in the singular. But chayim. I don't want chay. I want chayim. I want two lives. We all have two lives if we use them. If we know how to cultivate them, we want chayim. We want two lives, eternity. That takes far-sightedness. Eternity takes far-sightedness. Why? Because number one is a person going to know that this world is a key to getting the next world. As the Prikyabot says, and I think it's one of my favorite Mishnayot, really. It's really a gem. It's a really gem. This world is a corridor to the next world. This world is like the corridor in front of a large hall. So this world is a corridor, and the next world is a traklin. This world is a prosdor. It's a corridor, and the next world is a traklin. Amazing, amazing. I wish I knew this when I was a little kid. This, yeah, we're going to tell our kids, this world is temporary. This world is a passageway. But it's such an important passageway because it has so much bearing on eternity, on our eternity. This passageway is... Uh, exam room. This passageway is where everything is built. This passageway is we can earn our next world or we can destroy our next world. We can have a good time in the next world. We can destroy our next world. You know what? We're Jewish and we have lots of mitzvot. These mitzvot are not to be viewed as burdens. These mitzvot are to be viewed as opportunities because we have so many opportunities for good. We're so lucky. We have so many opportunities to earn reward. There's so many opportunities for chesed. You see an old person. Mitzvah to stand up. What do you lose by standing up? You stand up, you get reward. The guy passes you by. You don't even do anything. Just stand up a little bit. And that's a mitzvah in the Torah. It's so easy to do a mitzvah in the Torah, especially on a bus, especially on Eged. Just stand up a little bit. Or you give your seat. That's an even bigger mitzvah. Why you done the mitzvah of chesed? So it's a small price to pay for eternity. It's a small price that we can't imagine. That's the trouble. But a Jew's got to have a good imagination. What is eternity? What do you mean by eternity? Odessa says, spend your time counting sand. And think how long it would take to count a beach. That's eternity. It just keeps on going. You know, it's interesting that for little children, eternity is like a minute. A minute is eternity. You know, I was uh, taking my son home. And we're going to take the kids to the park with a cup of pizza. And every five minutes, his son is calling. His little son is five years old. Daddy, when are you coming? When are you coming home? Daddy, when are you coming home? Every second is like eternity when you're a kid. But we've got to imagine what it's like when you get older. It's not like eternity. It just passes so fast. It's just like, where did that time go? Where did my day go? Where did my... So it's very important to have a schedule. Very important to have a schedule. A schedule of classes. You know, if I wouldn't have a schedule of classes or learning, my day would go and just be wasted. It's very important to keep learning, keep studying Torah, have a time for volunteering, to help people, to be doing good. You know, have a schedule for goodness, have a schedule for mitzvot. This way a person knows I didn't waste my day. You now, Moshe Rabbeinu says in Tefillah Moshe, which we say every Shabbat, 
in the Zemirot. Please, Hashem, teach us how to count our days. What do we teach us to count our days? Not teach how to count our days. Teach us how to make each day count. We have to make each day count. Hashem gave us opportunities to make each single day count. And we have to make sure the days count. So how do you make the days count? It's an amazing concept. It says, Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu, he came with his days every single day. It was a day that could be counted in his life. Every single day was used for good things. Every single day of his life of Abraham Avinu was used for good deeds. And therefore he came with his days. We have a life full of days, which is every single day counts. Hashem says, what did you do in this day? It's good to have a diary. This is what I did in this day. I did something, at least I did something right. I prayed in the morning, I prayed in the afternoon. I wore my tali, I wore my tefillin. I lit the Shabbat candles. I, pr- I prayed to Hashem. I helped with my neighbor. I did chesed. I did tzedakah. I put money in the pushka. I gave tzedakah to, to this yeshiva, this charity. I, I raised my children. I did chesed. I washed my husband's clothes. I washed this one's clothes. Chesed. People don't realize the power of chesed, power of all these acts. We have all these advantages. Why? Because we have opportunities for goodness which surround us, surround us. It's not hard to be a Jew. It's easy. Why? <laughs> it's easy to get to the next world. It's much easier to get to the next world. The world of eternity, unfortunately, we saw a lot of difficulties in Israel the last week. And uh, we have to be better. We have to learn Pirkei Avot. We have to internalize the morality and the ethics of Pirkei Avot. And this idea that uh, physical belongings will, will help a person. Yes, they do help. But marbe nechassim, marbe daga. The more uh, a person has physical things, possessions, more materialism, the more worries a person has, not less worries. People forget that. They look at their bank accounts and say, oh gosh, what happened? My investments went down today, went up today, went down today, went up today. So marbe nechassim, marbe daga. Hayom katsa, I just want to finish off with this Mishnah. Rabbi Tarfot says, Ayom Katsar, the day is short. The day, what day is short? Our lives are short. We don't realize how short our lives are. There's a lot of work to do. The workers, that's us. We're lazy. We're not, we're not gunning out. We're not, we're not running after the mitzvah. The going to be a, a person who just can't leave a mitzvah alone. We can't stop doing mitzvah. We have to run after these mitzvah. We have to chase after them. Beit Hashem Ragish, says, I will run to the house of God. The rabbis say, you know what? You're not allowed to run on Shabbat. But you're allowed to run to do a mitzvah. Even on Shabbat, you're allowed to run to do a mitzvah. Why? Because running from mitzvah is what? That's the highest purpose in life. Highest purpose in life is running to a mitzvah. And for instance, mitzvah are all around us. You just pick up a siddur and pray. You just pick up a book of tehillim and say some tehillim. You just pick up a pushka and put some money in the pushka and say, Lelui Lishmat, my father. Lelui Lishmat, my mother. For the, for the good memory of my mom, my father, my mother, all the Jews that passed away in this uh, holocaust, whatever. Person can do a mitzvah. It's right at our fingertips. Every time you eat some food, it's an opportunity for a bracha. Just want to finish off with the story. The chassid goes to his rebbe. goes to his rebbe. He says, rebbe says, I don't understand. What's the difference between me and you? You eat, I eat. You sleep, I sleep. What's the difference between me and you? I eat and you eat. We're the same. Rabbi says, no, there's a big difference. He says, you make a bracha in order to eat. I eat in order to make a bracha. So using the power of food 
as an opportunity to bless God. Using the power of our lives to bless Hashem. Every day, because it should say, you know, uh, Avigdor Miller says, Neshama is Neshima. Every breath of ours, we should thank God for every breath. Thank God I can breathe. Thank God it was beautiful. I tell you, in Israel, God's Ganeden. For me, I tell you, I'm in Ganeden. I feel like <laughs> I'm in Ganeden in this world. Someone asked me, how are you doing, Rabbi? I said, I'm in Ganeden in this world. I am in Baruch Hashem. I'm enjoying every second in Yushalayim, Irakodesh. I invite you all to join me. Bezrash, we'll have a Shabbat Shalom. And next week, we're going to talk about Shavuot. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.